Hi everyone, I'm Jessica. And I'm Maya. And this is the Designers Toolkit, a podcast for new designers. Thanks for joining us. Um, you can submit any questions that you have for us through our Instagram at the Designers Toolkit. And while you're there, you can follow us for any episodes, sneak peeks, extra content, and updates. And if you like this podcast, um, specifically this episode or just the whole show, you can feel free to subscribe to listen to our episodes as soon as we drop them and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hi, everyone. I am very excited to talk to you guys about imposter syndrome today. It is a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, (laughs) If you are just starting out as a new designer, there are chances that you're feeling some type of imposter syndrome and Mm -hmm. beginning any sort of new career is scary and there's always going to be a learning curve. And I feel like it was especially nerve wracking for me being in a creative field where there really isn't a right answer to anything because design is so subjective. So it's like, am I doing this right? Mm -hmm. There are just so many ways to solve this. Uh, So I hope that in this episode, you kind of understand that you're not alone in feeling like you don't know what's going on, especially if you are new in your field or if you're a designer who has been in your field for a while and you still feel like an imposter. So that brings me to what exactly is imposter syndrome? And the formal definition of imposter syndrome is a psychological slash mental phenomenon where you believe your accomplishments are not deserved or earned through your genuine ability you'll tend to come up with all of these different excuses as to why you don't belong, feel like you've tricked other people into believing you're qualified, or just feel like you're lucky. And from this definition, you might identify imposter syndrome elsewhere in your life outside of your job. And another way that imposter syndrome has manifested for me uh, definitely and for others is feeling like everyone else has it figured out, but you're, you don't have it figured out. And that isn't true at all. No one has it figured out. Everyone goes through imposter syndrome or uh, feels Mm -hmm. doubts about like where they are in life, but a lot of people don't talk about it. And that's really why we wanted to discuss this with you guys today. Yeah. And like Maya said, imposter syndrome is like a prevalent topic in a lot of professions, but I think it's definitely something that I've noticed affects like creative fields disproportionately. Like I think Mm -hmm. I read somewhere that close to 75% of the population has experienced it at least once in their career in a way that like kind of affects their day-to-day job performance. And another really interesting behavior around imposter syndrome or like factor specific to it is um, the more high achieving you are, the more likely you'll feel imposter syndrome, which is really interesting that like the more you accomplish the more you feel you haven't actually accomplished anything so it's such a like I guess conflicting emotion and it is I think something that we have both experienced a lot um, in how we like got into the industry and like just being in this industry and I think what matters to me is trying to figure out how to move through it and share those tactics of how we have learned to combat imposter syndrome on a day-to-day basis and how we can start feeling more confident that we deserve all of the kind of like achievements that we've worked hard towards that we know what we're doing and we're truly qualified it's a really an interruptive or disruptive thought that can be kind of like thought through and I don't know I've come up with a lot of creative ways to get around it so when actually do you feel like you've gotten imposter syndrome um 
Honestly, I feel like imposter syndrome usually like kicks around when I have downtime at work. So I used to associate like having a calendar full of meetings as Mm -hmm. me being like, okay, everyone is seeing me show up. Like I am, you know, being a designer every minute of every day. Whereas like when I have like gaps in my calendar, instead of thinking to myself, Ooh, that's so exciting. I have time to actually make my designs instead of like sitting in a meeting, arguing with people. I feel like that counts as downtime that I'm not being like fully productive, that I'm not like presenting myself using that time as a designer. Like, shouldn't I be busy to be successful? And then also when I have like a new problem that I don't immediately know the answer to. Yeah. What about you, Maya? Yeah, I feel like I tend to feel imposter syndrome when I'm working with a stakeholder and I have to push back on a request that they have, or I need more time to fully understand the problem that it is that they're trying to solve. And yeah. I feel like sometimes uh, stakeholders are like, oh, well, like, can you do this like within a day? And I'm just like, no, I actually can't. I need more than a day to actually deliver this. I need maybe like a week. And then I'm like, oh, well, maybe if I were a better designer, then I would be able to actually deliver this. In a yeah. Day. And that's oh really God. detrimental to my progress as a designer because mm-hmm. I feel this pressure to never say no. I always get like these timelines that aren't the most sustainable. And mm-hmm. um, I'm not an imposter because I need more time. I just <laughs> am receiving these deadlines and timelines that aren't the most reasonable and aren't going to produce the best quality work. And it can be difficult for me to kind of reconcile the importance of saying no while also giving the impression that I'm good at my job and I can deliver Mm -hmm. things within a timely manner. Yeah, I feel like I've definitely experienced imposter syndrome at times like that as well. Mm -hmm. And I feel like every designer that I've ever spoken to has been like, "Mm -hmm, yes, like is familiar with imposter syndrome, has their own little tactics of dealing with it. Just because like in design, it is subjective. And so a successful design, there are so many ways to get from like point A to point B, or like go about a particular problem. And there's never just one answer. So because there's a lot of room for interpretation, whether it's by other designers or by other disciplines, when I like see someone else like succeeding in their career from a distance, like if I see on LinkedIn, someone else like got a promotion and, you know, they're maybe at their company, like senior designer is the equivalent of like designer two. I know my friend at Capital One said like they go from associate, which is fresh out of college straight to senior. Mm -hmm. Whereas like at our company, we go from like designer one to designer two to senior. And so Like I see them getting these new titles, right? And I'm like, oh my God, well, they're my same age and we went to school at the exact same time. So like, like, am I I running behind? (laughs) Yeah, like, is that me? Like my life is not together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Totally. (laughs) They they bought into their career, like their threat, you know, where I Mm -hmm. would maybe up to that point have felt really confident in like the work I was doing and that I was a good designer and that I'm contributing at work. Little things like that suddenly like come in and intrude on like this confidence I build for myself day to day. So seeing one way that someone does something or someone succeeds can make you feel like in the moment that it's the only way. And I think that's a huge symptom of imposter syndrome for me too, because in reality, you just have to trust that what you're doing is it's like your own career that you should be worried about and honestly like every company does things differently every designer does things differently like 
you just got to focus in on you and like we'll give you some tips and tricks on how we do that for ourselves. So how exactly do you know if you have imposter syndrome? Because you may have it, but may not recognize that you have it. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the first ways that I kind of realized that I had it when I was just starting out was that I would really Mm -hmm. focus on making these pixel perfect designs. And people who are just kind of focused on making all of their designs perfect are super perfectionist. And I am so guilty of that. So like one mistake or just like any critique on the design was construed as a failure and just like, oh, like this spacing is like 20 pixels off. So like clearly the whole design is garbage. (laughs) Like just throw it out. (laughs) And I was so guilty of this. And I would put in so much time into my mock-ups to make sure I'd cover all my bases. Mm -hmm. There were no mistakes. And this really was not the most practical type of behavior because every design isn't going to be perfect and trying to make every design perfect isn't attainable and UX design fundamentally involves a lot of iteration so it implies that design is never perfect and it's constantly evolving and that you're always going to need to iterate so there's always going to be a new problem to solve and you're not going to get it right on the first try so that's okay and you need to be able to be okay with that and yeah. You know, having a design that isn't perfect doesn't mean that you aren't a good designer. Mm-hmm. And it was that it was difficult so for me hard. first to recognize it. Yeah, 100%. I, like, relate to that so hard, especially when it was, like, my non-design stakeholders. Like, if I was presenting to designers, like, some of them have eagle eyes and can point out something, like, when something is misaligned by, like, literally one pixel. Like, I've had that happen Mm -hmm. to me before where I was like, oh, my God, I'm a failure in front of all these designers. Like, it's over for me. They all know that I'm, like, a design idiot and, like, don't know how to align something. How about you, Maya? How do you kind of deal with not making these, like, pixel-perfect designs and fixating on all these little details? Yeah, I think I try not to focus on all the imperfections and celebrate Mm -hmm. what I have achieved. So even if my designs aren't perfect, uh, I still have learned something new from the designs I've created. Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, mistakes, imperfections are a part of the creative process. It's really implied that you're going to iterate and it's not going to be perfect Mm -hmm. from the first time. And perfection isn't real. You really have to let it go. Like it's so easy get into the spiral of like, oh my gosh, my design wasn't perfect. I embarrassed myself in front of all of those stakeholders. Like, oh, they're becoming a bad yeah. designer. It's just like, no, you mm-hmm. got – stop it. Just stop. Like, <laughs> that's not healthy. <laughs> and like, like I said earlier as well, just like imperfect design doesn't equal bad designer. And perfect mm-hmm. designs, oh if there is a perfect design, doesn't equal good designer. Like, your skills yeah. will speak for themselves. Like, your designs don't need to be pixel mm-hmm. perfect for you – to be good at your job and those things don't equate each other and I I think it's really important if you are kind of dealing with this sort of aspect of imposter syndrome to make recognize when you're having thoughts like those because it's not helping and it won't help you grow in your career yeah there's definitely like um what's that phrase like marginal diminishing returns like once you get to a certain point of how clean your designs are like anything past that is just like extra work that you're putting in that will not really affect like how your how effective your storytelling or how effective your problem solving comes across and like you'll 
you know, figure out what that boundary looks like as you produce more and more designs and present them in front of people. But yeah, something else that really helped me, I think was one of my dev leads on my last project said this to me and it really helped me relax (laughs) on this a little bit. So I remember like I was apologizing for spacing being inconsistent on the same component across a couple screens. Like I think like between the couple screens, you could see it like inch forward and then back and then forward and back, like as you were tabbing between screens. Oh, that to me is like always something I like notice when I present designs. I'm like, well, I hope no one else sees that. But she was like, you're not a machine. You're not a robot. You don't have to worry about these like being perfect. You know, I see it moving, but like, I don't really care because it's still showing me how to like, I am walking away from this meeting knowing everything that I need to know. And if there are little small details like that, that you want to fix, you can go ahead. Um, And if it affects like what I build in the code, then we can always fix that together later. That's a very small fix. And so my approach now, like, as I said, again, is that I, as long as like I can finish a meeting with my stakeholders walking away, feeling that way, like they know what to Um, do on their end. Um, I think my approach to these meetings now is like I'm sharing ideas and not the exact end result that's going to be built and released tomorrow. You know, like there are a lot of steps before then where you can like take that time to specifically like look at um, what your devs have built. And a lot of times like as your devs build things, like the alignment will be off anyway. So you'll still be doing fit and finish reviews in which like you can catch these things. And so I now focus like during the actual design process, whether my designs communicate ideas rather than the fact that I'm capable of aligning everything down to like the single pixel, because again, I feel like that's diminishing returns. Yeah. So kind of one of the second ways to maybe know that you have imposter syndrome is if you have a bit of anxiety when it comes time for you to do a design review. And uh, I would say that I definitely understand this because being at the center of a design critique when everyone's Mm kind of going over your work with a fine tooth comb or going over your work with those laser eyes like Jessica mentioned Mm -hmm. where they're like (laughs) checking you to see if like things are like 0.2 pixels off. (laughs) It's really (laughs) nerve wracking uh, because you're just starting out. So you know, there are going to be mistakes. Uh, You're just starting out. You don't have it perfect. And growing in your career confidence, you're still like just starting out, like I said earlier. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of progress you need to make before you are going to be as confident to push back on some of the suggestions that people make in the design reviews. And I used to struggle with wanting to do design reviews because I felt like I wasn't good enough at UX design to solicit feedback. And I'm like, I clearly probably made a bunch of mistakes on this design. So I don't know (laughs) why I need to showcase like all of these mistakes and all of my incompetence in front of an audience. It's just like presenting like everything I did for YouTube or like (laughs) going to a concert and be like, look at all of my mistakes. (laughs) And I was just like, I don't know why I need to do this. (laughs) But, you know, I like as I've done more and more of them, I realize that they're Mm -hmm. so important. I get so much quality feedback from design reviews, even though I was nervous to do them before. Like it's kind of expected that you aren't going to have everything perfect in a design review. And it's not necessarily an indication of whether or not you're a bad designer if you have mistakes or things that aren't aligned with the design system or they're just like 
things you need to fix. That's the purpose of having that kind of forum for you to discuss it design. Yeah, I totally agree. I definitely used to get nervous about design reviews too. Um, And I would like prepare for those reviews thinking like, okay, they're just waiting for the moment where like, I don't know the answer to one of their questions. And like, they're waiting to like trap me in that. But honestly, like that was self-imposed 100%. I think team culture played a really big factor in me feeling more comfortable around design reviews, like being on a team where I felt like it was okay to present ideas at any stage of fidelity. So it could be low fidelity where it's very sketchy and you know, you're just moving through ideas very quickly versus like a higher fidelity. Still, I don't feel like, you know, when people give me that feedback, like, oh, that looks maybe a couple pixels off, you know, like that to me, again, I'm applying that filter of like, what kind of feedback am I getting? On the other side of this too, like I used to attend design reviews and get nervous to speak up and like offer my opinion on other people's designs um, because like one, I felt really uninformed about that person's specific product area. And so I didn't want to say anything that would like make me sound stupid. And honestly, now (laughs) again, with my mindset, I've kind of shifted it to say like, it's okay to say something stupid in the moment if you're learning something from that moment. And so looking back with that mindset, I think that for me has been a really helpful mindset because looking back, I don't feel like I've ever actually said anything stupid, but thinking that way gave me the confidence to like ask my question and like learn more about their product area or be able to like pivot off of their response to my question and like give them the feedback that I feel like is good. And my manager even has like really pointed out that she really appreciates like me speaking up to proactively ask questions and she appreciates my feedback and reviews and that like that's a big factor in her like assessing how I like generate positive energy on the team and has really I guess like factored into her decision to like speed up my promotion cycle things like that and so I think there's more reward in changing that mindset than there is like consequences from having that mindset. So I think for me, like the benefits much outweigh the cost. What about you, Maya? How do you deal with that like anxiety around design reviews? I think as I've done more design reviews, I've realized that it's expected that this is a forum for you to go into not knowing everything. It's for you to be educated about how you can make your design better. And it's to share knowledge, not necessarily highlight how good or bad of a UX designer you are. And kind of as a side note, I really love it when some of the newer designers take the time to solicit feedback and go into those forums where there are senior designers and people who are more advanced because it shows me that they are willing to take constructive feedback and they are, even though they may be scared about Uh, like all of the criticisms that others who are more experienced them have about their designs. They can't overcome their fears and are willing to improve uh, as a designer. And a lot are really scared to do that early on, so it can definitely help you stand out. Also, uh, on the flip side, uh, like Jessica mentioned, she had some anxiety about uh, maybe like speaking up during design reviews. I think it's also really good when newer designers try to speak up or give uh, some feedback or ask questions about it because that also helps them learn. So I think design reviews, it's a place to learn. It's not a place to perform. It's not yeah. like here's the best design ever and I'm going to show you like why I'm so great and awesome it's like no how can I make this better and like how can I learn from all of these people and how can we work together to make the best thing for our customers 
Yeah. Like, honestly, looking back on, like, all the design reviews I've attended, it's been, like, at least one a week for the last, like, two years, you know? Like, I feel like what I remember from those design reviews about the people who present are not, like, what did their designs look like? It's like, oh, that was a clever idea. Or, like, oh, they really used that component in a really cool way. Like, it's never around, like, "Mm, I remember that, like, Jane had, like, five pixels off. Like, (laughs) And, you know, like, I would never take that away from reviews. But it's helped me, like, build connections with people, with other designers in my studio. It's helped me, like, learn a lot of, like, really creative ways to, like, use some of the components we have or, like, creative ways to solve problems that I have like eventually like come up against and and then like I immediately know who to go talk to because I'm like oh I saw that in a design review once like I wonder what they ended up going with and so exactly like Maya said it, it's such a like a place for you to like have a learning experience and give and receive constructive feedback and also on the other side of that it's okay to disagree with people especially with their feedback like hopefully you are the product area expert and if you're getting feedback from other people who are also product area experts in the same kind of area then even when you get feedback that's proposing you change something about your design i used to think that this means like you have to change at least something about your design like at least a little bit to compromise but now i'm like it's okay to like take that feedback on board and then not decide that it's not appropriate for what you have going in your design file and just move on without it. I I guess like the only exception to that is if it's like from your manager or from like a senior designer who's working in the same space as you, you know, and like they feel very strongly in which case hopefully you're aligned. And if not, like you can always go down the route of like research or like finding another metric or like user feedback driven way to like prove you know, that your direction might be better, or you could always do like a B test. There's so many different ways to like validate different design opinions in that case. But a lot of the times, like if you hear feedback and you decide like, oh, that's not really appropriate for this scenario, like you can stand confident in knowing that like this is your product area and that you are the designer for this area. And like take that idea under advisement, maybe if like you start getting like user feedback or metrics once your experience goes live that you know that problem is coming back or it's there or there's this new problem then you like have that idea to fall back on what's another symptom of imposter syndrome Maya yeah another one that definitely comes to mind is if you're working a little bit too much like working from (laughs) yeah 5 a.m till 3 a.m. in the morning, uh, putting in ridiculous hours to prove Mm -hmm. your worth as a designer. That's not Mm -hmm. the most practical way. And like more hours doesn't necessarily mean you're better at your job. And the quality of the work that you produce won't necessarily be better. I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes can come from a place of insecurity where you're just like working so much. It's like, oh, if I work like 20 hours, then I'll be like the best designer. And then like my managers will know that like since I'm working the hardest, like I'll like get this promotion. And, you know, it's like it doesn't necessarily work like that. Um, It's it doesn't like more hours is necessarily equal better at your job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say like they don't care about the hours that you put in. They just care about like. I mean, hopefully your managers care about like your work-life balance and like all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like what design you're 
putting out there. And if you're pulling a lot of all-nighters, then you're setting the expectation that you'll always be able to put out the designs that you're currently putting out as a result of those. If that makes sense. Like basically by like setting that pattern up, like if someone asks you to like, hey, can you do this in a day? And you're like, oh my God, yeah, I can do that. This is an exception. Like I'll work until, you know, however long it takes tonight and you end up staying until like 2 a.m. And the next day you like share those designs out, right? Then when you're doing that, like the people that you work with are probably going to feel empowered to ask you to do something like that again. Whereas like if you're setting those realistic expectations, you can set up like a more sustainable design practice for yourself and also set the expectations that like design is actually work. There is, there is strategy, there's real working hours that go into it. And so people need to like build that respect around like what you do day to day. But yeah, putting in the long hours, I feel like this one, definitely, I have experienced as part of my imposter syndrome, where like, I used to pull all nighters for work. And it, to me, became super unsustainable. And uh, at the end of the day, like these situations are completely avoidable in my experience like it can be as easy as like just asking someone like shooting an email to someone asking to move a review to the next day like people are usually really understanding with meeting conflicts like everyone's busy um, especially if it's just like a review with me and my pms like I used to build those up so much because I wanted to establish my credibility and that I was a team player and that I could present whenever was convenient for them. But really it's like, you need to show that, you know, both people are at the table and like, we need to respect both people's timelines, things like that. And honestly, if it's a bigger review, like something that, you know, is studio wide, um, that is feels a little bit more like you don't want to move around everyone's schedules, um, or that just isn't feasible. You can always limit the scope of what you share out um, so you can focus your energy on a smaller chunk, but do that really well. Like I remember um, the day before like kind of a studio wide review that I had signed up for a time slot for, I was like, oh my God, I don't have these designs in a good spot. So I stayed up really late, like editing them. And then when we actually like went through um, the design review time, we ended up going over, I think maybe like a third of the designs that I had like pulled that online or trying to do. And so, you know, a lot of the times, like if you really focus the conversation, like just focus on the most important problems in your design that you have questions about, or that you want to make sure um, that you get other designers eyes on to just kind of like validate your approach. You can really focus in on the scope. And, you know, what people don't know won't hurt them. Like, they don't know that you were planning to share out, like, 8,000 screens and instead you only show them eight really targeted, like, thoughtful screens as opposed to, like, 8,000 little ones where you were, like, scrambling to put them together and, like, throw them together during an all-nighter. So, yeah, just be... There are multiple ways to kind of like move around, whether you like limit the scope or you like reconfigure the timeline, anything like that. There are a lot of ways to like take that pressure off of yourself. Like you almost never have to actually put in an all-nighter. And if you do, it should be an exception to your work schedule, not like something that becomes accepted. Yeah, I think... The simple solution to this one for me is just making sure I'm strict about my working hours. 
Yeah. I tend to work eight to four, nine to five. And then after that, I I clock out. I, well, not, I don't actually clock out because I'm salaried, but <laughs> <laughs> I like <laughs> mentally and physically clock out. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I don't check emails. I don't respond to anything. I'm done uh, because it's a boundary I need to set for myself. So then not overworking myself. Mm-hmm. I remember, I think it was maybe like eight months into this job. Uh, I sent an email to my manager at like 10 p.m. And then the next day she was like, Maya, you know, there's more to life than work. Like you need to set your working hours and then stop checking your emails and stuff like after your working hours are over. And then that just kind of, to me, like, you know, solidified under me. And it was like, I don't need to work that hard. Like I'm not like, my designs aren't better because I work from like 9 to 10 p.m. It, it, you know, it's not sustainable for me. I'm not producing my best work. And I, it's not healthy for me to overwork myself in a job. Uh, so mm-hmm. definitely if you like feel like an insecurity about your performance and feel like you need to work these long hours and timelines that aren't the most practical, then definitely maybe try to talk to your manager about it. See like, uh, you know, what is the expectation? Like, uh, like how much do you think I should be putting in for work? And that can give you a better understanding mm-hmm. of how much you should be working so that you don't feel this pressure to work yourself to the bone because that's not healthy <laughs> and you won't get the most yeah. out of that. Another way uh, that kind of ties really uh, closely with working long hours and just like working too much is you really can uh, focus a lot on quantity over quality if you have this uh, sort of aspect of imposter syndrome. So uh, when I talk about quantity over quality, I mean like people who are focused on juggling 20 things uh, or just like more things versus like making sure that like three things are you know, done in the best way they can. And I'm so guilty of this. I've definitely overextended myself to the point to where it becomes detrimental to my performance as well as my mental health. I'm just like, oh, like because I'm doing like 20 projects and I'm working like all these hours, like it's going to like show people that I'm a great designer and maybe not, not really. Like I, it it won't always (laughs) show that you're a great designer. Um, And I think I, tied my self-worth to how many projects and roles and relationships I was balancing and I thought that I could handle it and I was more focused on the validation I was having from having so much work to do it's just like oh because I have so much work to do like I must be really good at my job because like everything everybody (laughs) needs something from me like Maya is like the designer that everybody needs something from and it's like yeah um you know it's important to recognize that you don't necessarily need to be involved in everything and that's okay That goes back to what I was saying about, like, I feel imposter syndrome when my calendar is not filled with events, Mm -hmm. you know, and like filled with meetings with PMs and stuff. But no, like, there's this line from Parks and Rec that I feel like really fits in here. It's like whole ass one thing instead of half assing two things. Like, if you can (laughs) take one project farther, like, that momentum takes you a lot farther, I think, in your um, career and like showing the value you bring to the table as a designer, both with other designers and with other disciplines, than like taking on like 20 things just to show that you have taken on 20 things and can juggle them all at once, but also you're very stressed doing it. So yeah, I, I definitely have been guilty of this and probably still am a little guilty of this. But yeah, like you were saying, it definitely leads to burnout. I'm very like deadline driven. So I used to like procrastinate on certain things because I had like 10 different things to juggle. And um, I was always feeling like I was doing last minute 
things because I had constant deadlines. So because I'm deadline driven, I would like do something, have the deadline for it, and then feel like, okay, whew, met that deadline. But in reality, because I signed up for like um, a bunch of things, like it would be deadline, 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 deadline. And I never had downtime to actually like think about the work that I was putting out there. It was just like, okay, I have this giant to-do list. um, And so I'm just going to like work through it. Okay. That one can like go off for a little bit. Um, I'll, you know, tackle that later. And then before I know it's like the day before it's due and I have to like scramble to do it. So when you're scrambling on every single thing that you, I guess, like are putting out there, you know, you're not putting out your best work. That's like thoughtful. That is showing the way that you strategize as a UX designer. And like that I think is more valuable than volume is just being able to show that you are able to like tell a story with your design, solve a problem, share ideas, things like that. So those are the things that I think what my managers currently look for is they look for kind of like how effective your ideas are or how effective you are as a designer and less of like, can you take every single thing that's thrown at you um, just to show that you're busy and sought after as a designer. Yeah, this is an area I feel like I'm still learning to improve. And so I'm interested, yeah. Jessica, in learning more about ways that you've tackled putting like quality over quantity versus the opposite. Yeah, I mean, like I've talked a little bit about this before, but like I used to be – I. Th- Uh, coined it as like allergic to saying no um, because I wanted to show that I was a team player and that, you know, like I could take on challenges and that I was willing to like, you know, take one for the team, whatever. So I would just say yes to everything. But now I think I've pivoted to like, there's one question that I ask myself every time before I like offer to do something or before I say yes to something. It's like, is this something that I can give 100% of my time and energy to, whether that's just like an hour sitting down to and like, it doesn't even have to be 100%. A lot of the times, like there are things that I know, like I can start, I've done so many times I can do it in my sleep. So like, I know I don't need 100% of like focus to work on that. But um, it also, I'll look at it like, is this going to help me learn as a designer? Is this going to fulfill me as a designer? And is this something that I could potentially put in my portfolio? Because at the end of the day, like you have less loyalty to the company that you work for and more loyalty to like yourself as a designer, because you're responsible for how you grow your career and how you manage your time day to day in that 40 hour work week. And so if I know that something is put on my plate, then I want to be able to give the right time and energy to that work item. And I remember I was like talking to my one of my managers um, in my one-on-one with her about like all the 10,000 things I had on my plate that I had already said yes to. And she like, dead just like looked me in the eye and she was like okay but do you want to be doing all of those things she was like protect your time protect your energy and I kind of got a little emotional like sitting there thinking about someone who like has the authority to help take those things off my plate even though I had already said yes to them and like 
she actually did care about how I was going to go up against 10 deadlines in one week and that I knew I could do it. And that even though I knew I could do it, it would stress me out. It would cause burnout. It would really like be unsustainable in the long run. I think that for me was a pivotal moment that like validated for me it is okay to protect your time. It's okay to protect your energy at work. And those are two things to like take into account every time before you say yes to something. Another way that you may know that you have imposter syndrome is if you think that you can do it all by yourself. And (laughs) a lot of times this stems from not wanting to ask people for help because you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. want to look like you're stupid or like you see (laughs) asking for help as a sign of weakness. And this is me to a thousand percent like it's me to a t (laughs) i have so much trouble asking for help and i have to catch myself when i do and it really Mm -hmm. does tie in with the fact that i don't want it to look like i don't know what i'm doing or i don't want to bother others for help i don't want Mm -hmm. other designers to be like why don't you know this (laughs) like like you should know this as a designer it's just like oh yeah yeah, i don't want to look stupid uh so that definitely uh is a a symptom of imposter syndrome that is very common, just like feeling like, oh, I can't collaborate with the people I'm working with or I can't communicate with them because I don't want to look like I'm stupid. I kind of just like have to hold it all in and kind of fake it Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, because I don't want it to seem like I don't know what I'm doing, like I'm incompetent. Yeah, like this one definitely hit me right in the gut also, especially when I was learning. Like I would never ask Mm -hmm. questions in school or ask my friends to help me with something because I was afraid of looking dumb, especially like back then I didn't know very much about design. And so I would see my friends like whizzing around in Adobe software, like hitting all these shortcuts, applying all these effects that I had never even thought about, didn't even know were possible. And I thought like I was the only one who didn't know what was going on back then, which goes back to that other symptom you were talking about earlier of like, you think everyone else has it figured out except for you. And now looking back, I'm like, bitch, I don't even know like 10% of what's possible in Photoshop. And I've been using it for eight years, you know, like shortcuts are this thing in any design software, like Figma, Sketch, Adobe, honestly, any design software where like every single day I'm learning something new in it. Like I watch someone else like share their screen and like keyboard hotkey. And I'm like, wait, 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 show me that again. That's amazing. You know, I still learn that every single day. And I've seen like senior designers, like learn from me and I've learned from that, you know, like it's something that you're never going to get a hundred percent grasp on. And so a lot of things in design are like that, where you shouldn't be afraid of looking dumb. Like at some point you establish a baseline that like you are a designer and you kind of have to make that mental switch for yourself too. And I think for me, when I made that mental switch was when I started learning so much more because I felt like brave enough to ask questions and like not worry about like that, thing of um, when I was talking about like design reviews, not worry about like looking stupid, because I don't think I actually have ever looked stupid. I've just learned from those moments. Yeah, I've definitely improved in this area by talking Mm -hmm. to people that I trust more about it. My mentors definitely are my rocks. Uh, I've talked to Mm -hmm. them about conflict, any kind of problems I have, feedback I need. uh, And especially this one in particular, which I think Uh, stems from me like wanting to feel really independent and feel like people respect me and like Mm -hmm. I'm good at my job like just kind of voicing that to someone uh, in a more intimate setting just being like Mm -hmm. oh I feel like I can't really ask anyone for help and my mentor saying like you can definitely ask people for help that just like you know like 
blows my mind. It's just like, I can't ask people for help and it's fine to ask for help. And I think I also like, because I I know that I have a tendency to self-isolate, I'm always like looking for opportunities Mm -hmm. to work with others. It's definitely a balance of doing this, but also like not trying to be involved in 20 different things because that is Mm -hmm. also another problem I have because like I don't want it to seem like I only want to work with myself, but then I also don't want to overextend myself. So mm-hmm. I definitely think that trying to collaborate more with others uh, and mm-hmm. asking questions from others and being more vulnerable will help you combat this area of mm-hmm. imposter syndrome and those insecurities you may have about like thinking that you can't ask other people for help because you don't want to look stupid or you feel weak or incompetent in your role. Yeah. Um, honestly, like your creative career becomes a lot harder when you isolate yourself, I think, because I started out that way, super isolated. And I'm sure that if any of us like pour our blood, sweat and tears into something that we care about, like a design career, we can achieve it. But you know, if we leverage like our blood, sweat, tears, and other people who are excellent at what they do to learn from and work with and share that creative energy with, you are able to get so much more out of like being a designer um, surrounded by like other incredible creatives. And um, it's helped me become like a better person, enjoy design a lot more, be a better designer and like feel like the work is a lot more rewarding and is a place where I feel like I'm growing. And so like I said, this can definitely be in the form of mentors or just other colleagues that, you know, you become friends with, or a lot of the times, like this is how I make friends in the creative industry like hey I don't know what I'm doing please help me like that doesn't have to be exactly what you say right like you don't have to out yourself as like hey I'm an idiot please help me it can be more of a like wow this work is incredible or like I've noticed you do this differently from how I do it and then you can follow that up with like let's talk about our process or like oh I would love to learn how you do that or you know it's a good way to connect with people. And so I've kind of like pivoted it into like this bridge that I extend to other creatives or other people in my workplace or in my industry to make friends, make connections, and just generally make this a much more like positive and uplifting place to like work since we're all stuck here in our careers working 40 hour weeks, you know, Um, might as well make it somewhere fun to be. Yeah. Another kind of final note that ties in with what you said about just making the workplace a more positive, uplifting place to work is not comparing yourself to others. And this Mm -hmm. is, I feel like one of the most, like, I don't want to say toxic, but it can be so detrimental (laughs) to like your confidence. (laughs) Like if you are constantly comparing yourself to other designers and I feel like this this is not just applicable to your career, but also like in life, like if you're constantly yeah. comparing yourself to others, like really just like fuck with you. Like, it's just like, Oh, like, like Jessica was saying earlier, like, Oh, I see like my friends who graduate at the same time as me, like moving up in their careers. Why am I not moving up in my career? It's just like, because maybe like the companies have like a different career promotion structure. Like it's, it's not necessarily like one person's doing yeah. more than the other. You like, you know, like making these little comparisons and like trying to see like, Oh, why? Like I'm not doing things in the same way this person is doing like those mm-hmm. like can build insecurities in yourself and like 
it, it doesn't help you grow or progress. And yeah. I think yeah. I've definitely felt this way when I've seen other designers get praised or like if they'll take an approach that I never would have even considered. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm wondering like, oh, maybe I should have done it that way. Like maybe, you know, I'm doing things wrong. Maybe I'm like not, not approaching things the right way. Maybe like I'm like dated. Maybe I'm not like up to date. And it's just like another one of those spirals <laughs> I was talking about. Yes. Like just like Ugh. like it – you know, it's not healthy. Uh, you really do need to, you know, be confident in yourself. Own, like, what you know. Like, you know, you were hired for a reason. Like, your managers believe in you. Your team believes in you. There's a respect in your position. Uh, and you wouldn't be here if those things weren't true. So the comparison things to others, I feel like that's something it's so easy to do. Uh, but it, <laughs> it really is so critical that you don't. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, like, you can do, like, slight comparisons to be like, oh, like, you know, let let me look at this to see like how I could approach this in a different way or just Mm -hmm. like uh, compare yourself to like see like how you can maybe improve but maybe like don't compare yourself as a way to like project negatively on yourself Mm -hmm. uh like comparing yourself uh, as like a way of competitiveness against other people Mm -hmm. isn't the way to go (sighs) yeah I could just talk about that all the day (laughs) oh my god seriously it is it is toxic it's like a toxic relationship Mm -hmm. with yourself which is the hardest mm-hmm. thing because it's like you can't cut yourself off, you know, but like, <laughs> you can cut off that way of thinking because it doesn't serve you. And it, if anything, mm-hmm. it holds you back from growing your career. And like, honestly, the only time that um, comparing myself against others has been constructive has been like in um, when I've been negotiating salary and like I've like asked people that yeah. I trust if they feel comfortable sharing their salaries with me at that stage in their career or you know if they're at the same stage you know like during recent negotiations especially if they're at the same company in the same city have the same like years of experience that I do you know like all those different factors that you consider during negotiations like that is really the only time that I feel like it was constructive ever but you know I've definitely been guilty of comparing myself to others a lot more outside of that and it's never been constructive it's never been helpful it is toxic so yeah and the way I think of it is like if you're working at a company that recruits the best like if you respect the people that you work with and hopefully you do right like hopefully you're surrounded by people you can learn from and grow from you're likely surrounded by people who are great designers and if you are great at what they do it doesn't have to be designed and if you find that you're doing different things than them like if you go about problems in a different way you start projects differently a lot of times it's easy to feel like you should just switch to do what they're doing um, or try to follow in the same steps as them whether it comes to career or um, the way they tackle work and um, you know I have a coworker who gives a lot of talks so I'm like oh okay then I have to give a lot of talks to also be even considered to go to the next level um, in terms of like my title, you know, but that's not necessarily true at all. You know, it's, it's good to think about like, if you're surrounded by all that other talent, then you are that other talent, right? Like you're there for a good reason. Um, Like Maya was saying, like your team believes in you, um, you were hired for a reason. And like, if people had concerns about you, they would tell you like your manager would tell you they would be the first person to tell you, you know, like they're not just holding on to it, like waiting for you to fail. Um, They will give you that feedback when you need to hear it. So, um, well, hopefully they will. But uh, yeah, especially your manager. That's their job. 
Yeah, I found this quote about comparison by Teddy Roosevelt, and it's really popular. And it's like he mm-hmm. said that comparison is the thief of joy. And I, I'm like, <laughs> preach, Teddy, because it totally <laughs> is. I I think instead of comparing myself to other people, like I'm going to compare myself to myself. And yes, th- yeah. that may sound contradictory, but like compare myself to how I thought about things in the past and like how mm-hmm. I'm doing them now and just like how I can improve and like focus on self-improvement yeah. uh, versus like – getting into this competitive spiral with other people and like comparing myself to the the way that they are doing things because it really does take away my joy and I, I'm all about the joy now. I want like positivity like in my career and my life and like, you know, just like constantly comparing myself uh, to others and like feeling like down on myself and feeling like an imposter like isn't going to help me have joy or progress. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back on like designs that I made a year ago, I'm like, who is she, you know, but it's so it's never like negative in that moment, because I am in that moment able to recognize how far I've come. Um, And so I think, yeah, comparing yourself to yourself is maybe the most (laughs) constructive way to like, if you're, yeah, it's like, how much have I grown? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, look at me now. (laughs) Yeah, so that was a lot. And that's how you know you have imposter syndrome. So if you're doing like any of those things, you definitely have it. Yeah. For me, the best way I've learned how to manage imposter syndrome is just like learning to believe in myself and developing oh, that confidence. <laughs> and I felt like that was so hard starting out because I was just like, I don't have a formalized degree in design. I majored in computer mm-hmm. science and mm-hmm. I, I like don't know anything about like human computer interaction. I didn't do like psychology or like formalized design engineering. So like I I don't know what I'm doing. And you know, to combat those insecurities, I was just like, you know, like I was hired for my ability. My work speaks for itself. And I'm a part of a team that respects the work that I do. And it's like you said, um, like if your company hired talented individuals, you are one of the talented individuals. Yes. Like so I thought that yeah. Yeah, you're there for a reason. And I'm not a perfect designer and my work mm-hmm. isn't going to be perfect. And imposter syndrome and feeling these insecurities are so common across designers of all levels. I have learned this by talking to my peers, like doing research and just like understanding like that it's normal to feel the way I felt. And just like learning that other people were feeling this way took such a weight off my shoulders because it's just like, oh, I- I'm not the only one who kind of feels like – like, I, I don't know what I'm doing or I don't have it all figured out. And, you know, just learning to believe in yourself is a lot easier said than done because I feel like career confidence isn't going to come naturally to everyone. I know some people yeah. are just like, just be confident. It's just like, what does that even mean? <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> like, be confident. Super helpful. <laughs> yeah, I just like – yeah, it's just like – it's like someone saying just be tall. Why can't be tall? <laughs> Like I like, yes, <laughs> like just be, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> like, but you know, I think that some things that have helped me develop that confidence is like as I've like gotten opportunities to mentor others or receive good feedback or receive praise. Like I've celebrated those accomplishments, and that's helped yeah. me build more confidence, yeah. and that reinforces to me that I am confident at my job and I've also stopped comparing myself to others like I I was talking about comparison and I can go on about comparison all day but like we're all very different and design is very subjective and we're going to approach it in different ways and I really hope that while you guys are listening to this episode that you just 
you know, you feel less alone um, and you feel like we're hearing you and you understand just some tactics uh, that can help you deal with imposter syndrome because it's so normal. Like we've all been there. We've all dealt with it and we're dealing with it. Uh, some of these, like we went through all of these. I, I'm still combating and learning how to uh, deal with them as I grow in my career. And mm-hmm. Like, we are there with you. We're feeling it, too. And I hope yeah. that, like, if we can get through it, so can you. Yes. A hundred percent. I love that. Yeah, I feel like it's really important to me to talk about imposter syndrome with friends, with anyone who will listen, like, on this podcast. Because, like, it can be crippling. Like, I'm now in my, <laughs> oh, aging myself, mid-20s. But a lot of my memories of my early 20s are just these negative memories. Like, I know I had a lot of fun in my early 20s. But my memories from my early 20s are all around, like, okay, I didn't go to school for design. That's a bummer I spent a lot of time like depressed about that or like um, when I got my first job out of college it's not the job that I wanted wasn't this like big brand name company and whatever so like I didn't feel good enough then I was watching all my friends around me get these like spicy internships at (laughs) these like really cool company you know like I just have such a sad filter on all of my memories from that time of just trying to prove like I'm a real designer or like oh my gosh I love that yeah sad filter in all of my memories like that's the most millennial thing I love I love that I'm like (laughs) good we should make (laughs) we should make um merch with that like I really love that oh sad it really does just like (laughs) yeah like you don't want a sad filter you want a happy filter you want a warm filter it's like it's so ridiculous like this is a little like existential so maybe (laughs) not the best place for it but like on this podcast but um you know you're on earth for like a short amount of time you only get one early 20s in your life you know and I can't believe that I let something as common and like stupid and toxic as imposter syndrome like hold me back from appreciating what I had you know like I had all these friends around me in college like you never preach yeah like you never live so close to all your friends um, at one given time you know like I had so much to be happy about but I instead like um you know let this Hor- like little monster like live inside like weigh mm-hmm. me down for all those years you know so yeah like you were saying it's so much easier said than done and looking back now thinking about imposter syndrome um it was a consuming thought but along with that like it's important to learn what works best for you to try and like kind of tame that little monster on your back and I now instead of thinking of it as like this weight on my shoulder I think of it as like a learning and motivating experience so like it does get better like looking back on where I was when I started out in design like I am so much more capable of like looking imposter syndrome identifying it and being like okay this doesn't need to like derail my entire day. I can look at it, acknowledge it, and then like learn from it. You know, what can I do to um, learn from this moment? What is this moment like telling me? And I also think like, my, you're so right. Like talking about it with anyone, like mentors you were saying, but I talk about this with like friends, um, other designers, mm-hmm. non-designers, family, like literally everyone um, on this podcast at all. But you'll see that like basically everyone, designers or not, can empathize with imposter syndrome 
some people feel it more, some people feel it less, but they've all at some point like seen it um, in others that they care about or in their own lives, own careers. And so, yeah, it, it is very common and you're definitely not alone if you are feeling anything that we mentioned on the pod. Yeah, that's a wrap on season one. And we wanted to end on imposter syndrome, kind of go out with a bang, but um, a big, big thank you to our producer, Chang Hong Wong, and our branding expert, Lena Choi, who have been with us through all of season one. And we are, you know, jumping into planning season two, and it'll be coming hopefully later this year. Yeah, if you have any topics that you want us to cover in season two, or you have any questions for us, you can DM us on Instagram at the designer toolkit and while you're there you can always follow us for any episode sneak peeks sneak peeks into season two extra content we post updates there yeah but if you like the show feel free to like share it out with like your friends who you feel like would also like to you know talk about imposter syndrome or talk about any of the other topics we've talked about for the design industry yeah and you can also feel free to subscribe to listen on any platform that you're listening on so that you can get our episodes as soon as we drop them yeah thanks everyone for joining us for season one and uh, we will see you in season two thank you